Thank you for listening to this podcast from Living Hope Church in Skokie, Illinois, featuring the preaching of Pastor Daniel Mann. For more information about our church, please visit us online at livinghopechicago.com. We hope that today's message will encourage you in your relationship with God. So in 1858, accepting his nomination as candidate for the U.S. Senate, a man by the name of Abraham Lincoln sounded a theme that two years later would see him elected to the White House. But on this day, many would say this, uh, this speech that he gave actually lost him the Senate race. And he spoke about the pressing need for national unity, and the speech has been titled, A House Divided. This is what Abraham Lincoln said. He said, A house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. I do not expect the Union, that is the United States Union, I I do not expect the Union to be dissolved. I do not expect our house to fall. But I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing or all the other. You know, it's a tragic thing to see a nation uh, divided. It is, I believe, an even more tragic thing uh, for a church to be divided. And the church in Corinth was a house divided. There was division. And the word is used in verse 10, the word divisions. And in Greek, it's the word schisma. And it's where we get the English word schism. That there was a schism in the church that was causing great damage. And the scene that was playing out in Corinth of division has played out time and time again in churches through the years. You know, churches are prone to division uh, because people, because we as people, as human beings, are prone to division. And what makes matters worse is that the unsaved world on the outside of the church, the unsaved world in the city and neighborhoods around the church often know when a church is divided. Warren Wiersbe is a former pastor. He's written a lot of books about the Bible. And he said that bad news of church troubles spread so rapidly, while the good news of the gospel never seems to spread quickly at all. I think that's interesting. He was, he's basically saying, you know, you take a church, and if there's problems in that church, then that message is going to spread all around the community. Uh, But for some reason, the good news of the gospel doesn't seem to spread nearly as fast in the community. You know, the old saying that if it bleeds, it leads is unfortunately true. And a divided church uh, has been the talk of many towns because, again, it's it's about conflict, it's about problems. And and people are are drawn to wanting to know more about that type of thing. You know, last week we, we studied 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 9, our first message in this series. And and we use the analogy of a patient that was in desperate need of surgery. And the, and the patient was the church in Corinth, the people who made up this church that Paul's writing this letter to. But before God began the surgery, He uses Paul to express this gratitude for what God had done for this church, for the grace that these Corinthians had experienced. But in today's text that we're going to read, beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, we're going to see that the Holy Spirit begins that surgery, begins speaking through the Apostle Paul about what's wrong in this church and how God can change them and and what God wants to do among them. 
We ended last week with the words, God is faithful. And it's a good thing because as we're going to see this morning, that the Corinthian church was not faithful. And Paul was pointing out those things to them. If you're able to stand with me, stand with me. I want us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. And we stand because we believe that we hold God's Word in our hands. And every time we read it, we're hearing from God Himself. Look at verse 10. It says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. We don't know much about this, uh, uh, this house of Chloe that's referred to in verse 11. Uh, in fact, there's, there's nothing else that we know about them. There's a lot of conjecture, uh, but suffice it to say that Paul had received credible news through uh, a group of people that were, were referred to as those of the house of Chloe. And this is what Paul had heard, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul. And I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you. But Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptize any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. So what's happening here? Paul is lovingly appealing to the Corinthian church and alerting them to the damage that division causes. And so our message today is simply this, that God has alerted us to the damage that division causes. Causes. God has alerted us to the damage that division causes. And today I want to look at three things that, three types of damage that division causes. Will you bow your heads with me for prayer? Lord, thank you for bringing us together today. Thank you for directing our hearts to this study through the book of 1 Corinthians. Lord, we thank you that as we began last week, we saw that. There are reasons that we can be grateful, even though our lives are imperfect, even though our lives are broken, that that we can be grateful because of your grace, because the fact that you've gifted us as your children to serve you, and because you've made us a guarantee that in Christ, that through faith in him, not our works, but his work on the cross, that you have guaranteed that through faith in Jesus, we will stand before you one day blameless. That no sinful charge will be able to stick on our account, but will stand before you pure and clean and righteous. We'll hear you say, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. You belong to me. You will be in paradise with me forever. So Lord, we have reasons to be grateful, but we also give you thanks that you don't leave us where we are in this world. You you show us how you want us to grow. You show us what you want our lives to be like. And I pray that today you would alert us to the damages that a division in the church 
will cause. And I pray you'd speak to us, Lord, today about the need for unity and to preserve and persevere in unity for your name, for your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So God has alerted us to the damage that division causes. And we're talking specifically, and although this can apply to your family, if if you have a house where a a husband and wife are divided, these things apply. If you have a, a business that you work in, if you ever worked in a business that was deeply divided, these things will apply. But we're going to talk specifically about the church and how that division in the church causes damage. Three ways that division causes damage. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Division damages a church by causing disunity. Now, it goes without saying to say that division leads uh, to disunity because you can't be unified if you're divided. And notice what Paul says in verse 10. So 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10, he says, I beseech you, I'm appealing to you, brothers or brethren or Christians, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's in the authority of Jesus that he's speaking these words. And he says that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you. So their division had affected their unity. And I like how in verse 10, he uses the word same three times. He says you need to be speaking the same thing, you need to be of the same mind, and you need to be of the same judgment. So first, they didn't speak the same thing. They were not in agreement about what they were saying, about about things specifically what they were saying about the gospel, about what they were saying about God and His Word. So they were saying different things. There was not unity. They were divided. Some were saying this about Jesus, about Paul, about Peter, uh, about the, the, the work of the gospel. And others were saying this. He said, you're not saying the same things. You're not in agreement about these important gospel matters. There's two different things coming or several different things coming. So that they weren't the same in their speech. Secondly, he said, you're not of the same mind. You're not perfectly, look at verse 10. You are not perfectly joined together in the same mind. Now the word mind is the idea of a general way of thinking. So the word mind is general. You're not, you're not on the same page generally in your mind. Your, your, your thoughts are totally different from one another. And then thirdly, he said they were not perfectly joined together in the same judgment. And the word judgment means their specific opinions. So he said you're not only divided generally in how you think, you don't see things in a general way the same, but then you all have your own opinion. And you're all speaking Different judgments, different opinion. And so this disunity in their words, this disunity in their general way of thinking, and this disunity in their specific opinions had caused one thing. Look at verse 11. It had caused contentions. The word contentions means arguing, fighting. Here they were arguing, fighting, and their disunity is further seen in the fact that they had created four different Groups, four different factions, four different parties, if you would. Look at verse 12. He tells them how they've divided themselves up, how they're disunified. He said, every one of you have chosen a team. Some of you say, I'm team Paul. Some of you say, I'm team Apollos. 
Some of you are saying, I'm team Cephas or Peter. And the others of you are super spiritual and you say, I'm team Christ. I'm team Jesus. But look at verse 13. He says, is Christ divided? Here you are. You're all speaking different things. I'm of Paul. I'm of Peter. I'm of Apollos. You're all speaking different things. You're not on the same mind. You're not like-minded. You don't even generally think of the gospel in the same way. And then all these opinions that you have, they're all different. It was a mess of disunity. And he says that pointed question, is Christ divided? Is Christ sectioned off? Does Paul have some of Jesus that Peter doesn't? And Apollos have some of Jesus that Peter and Paul don't have? Like that you have to be divided off this way? I was sitting on the front row. It was a Wednesday night for a Bible study church service. But looking around, you would have thought it was Easter Sunday. It was so filled in this auditorium. And the reason the auditorium was so filled is because we were having a a business meeting in the church. And I had seen people there that I hadn't seen in forever. I mean, people that never go to church there, but they found out we were voting that night on some important things, and the church was packed out. And I will never forget, I was wondering, am I in a WWF or WWE fighting arena right now, or am I in the church of the living God? Because I'm looking around, there are people standing up, red-faced, pointing and yelling at one another. I remember one big guy stood up and walked as if he was going to walk on the stage and remove our pastor. And we had another guy before he came to Christ, he was a bouncer, and he stood up as well to block the guy. I thought, it's about to go down right now. Like, this is before everyone had phones, but I would have had this out saying, we're going to get some shares on YouTube. I'm going to be like Mr. Whatever here. Yeah, I'm laughing about it now, but the truth is it wasn't funny at all. I've never been in a church where everyone had a key to the church. Everyone in that church had a key. And everyone was coming with their key to take stuff from the church that they had bought and purchased in classrooms and say, I'm taking this with me because it belongs to me. It was a mess, an absolute mess. And that Wednesday night's where it all erupted. The next few weeks were some of the worst and most miserable of my life. I mean, we experienced firsthand the damage that disunity causes. And you know what I want to say is that we shouldn't be surprised when the world is divided over politics, over values, over their views. But it ought to at least be disturbing to us if God's people are so deeply divided. Now, we are people. We're still sinners. We're still in this sinful flesh. So we're prone to division. But it ought at least to disturb us that people who, as the Apostle Paul called, the sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be saints are acting like a bunch of four-year-olds in the playground when someone took their ball. That ought to at least disturb us. We ought to expect the world to live like that because they're dead in trespasses and sins. But that ought not to reflect the people of God. Now, someone once said that when there are two or three Christians gathered together, there are at least 12 opinions. And that's the truth, right? Where you gather two or three Christians together, there's going to be at least 12 to 20 different opinions. And what I want to say is that we're always going to have different opinions and thoughts about non-essential issues. 
But this is the church that was divided about essential issues. They're not divided over silly things like, hey, I like sitting in green chairs. No, I like sitting in the tan chairs. Or no, actually, I like sitting in the brown chairs, right? We've got all different kinds of chairs here for whatever color you like. We've got every different color of the rainbow of chairs in this church, right? We're not talking about little silly things. We're talking about matters that get to the heart of the gospel. He says you're speaking different things, you're generally viewing God's work differently, and you all have these specific opinions about these heart matters of the gospel that are different and you're disunified. We're not talking about minor differences. We're talking about major disunity. Now, one of the great things about preaching through the book of the Bible is that you preach through things and God is the one choosing what you're preaching through. Now, I don't know of any disunity, any major disunity at Living Hope Church. How I view this sermon is probably as preventative maintenance, right? How many of you know it's best to take your car into uh, the mechanic long before uh, it starts sounding like the brakes are going out on the highway, right? That's a bad time to say, you know what? Um, I'm pushing the brakes. It's not really stopping. I need to get this into the mechanic. Okay, wrong thing there, right? Should have gone a month ago when it first started sounding a little bit funny. So preventative maintenance is when you go in regularly to have things checked before it gets bad. So a church (laughs) doesn't need, you know, it would have done us no good to stand up that Wednesday night and say, hey, everyone, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to preach to you about the damage that division causes. Too late. The fire's already started, right? We needed preventative maintenance long before that and long before that. And so I see that as Living Hope Church right now, that there's no major divisions, that we give God the glory for the unity that He is creating and that we're seeing preserved here. But preventative maintenance is where we're reminded of the fact that when we allow division to come, there are deep damages of disunity that are caused. If you've ever sensed that there are factions or groups developing in the church, may God give you the grace to lovingly confront it right away. Yeah, most churches at some point deal with that, where there are groups that start to develop within the church that are divided one with the other. And certainly when it comes to issues about the gospel, we have to keep pursuing unity about what we say, about how we think, and about even our specific judgments and opinions about things, that we want to make sure that we're marked by what God's Word teaches, not why, what the next best thing that we can think of is. And so the, the division uh, was causing the damage of disunity. Number two, division damages the church by causing diversion. Diversion. Now, do you know what the word diversion means? It simply means that you turn off course, that you're supposed to be going up along a certain road or a path, and you've diverted from that. You, you've taken a turn off course. You're getting off the intended path. Now, I want you to see how they had diverted from their path. Look at verse 13. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 13. Is Christ divided? Now, notice the diversion here. Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Look at verse 12. Let's back up one verse. How were they diverted? How was this causing a diversion? Verse 12, now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. You see, they were diverted because their faith 
was not fixed on Christ. It was supposed to be fixed on Jesus. But their eyes and their faith were not fixed upon Him, and this had caused a diversion. Now their eyes, some of them, were on Paul. Other of them, their eyes were on Peter. Other of them, their eyes were on Apollos. And in the, the passage, Paul is trying to redirect them. He's saying, some of you say, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter, and I'm of Christ. Is Christ divided? He's trying to redirect them back. He's saying, was I baptized? Or were you baptized in my name? Was I crucified for you? You know what he's doing? He's saying, your attention, your focus, your eyes are on the wrong one. It's not Paul. It's not Apollos. It's not Peter. It's Christ. He's not divided. This diversion was a diversion away from the heart of the gospel. And it was on to man. So their hearts were now focused on Paul or Apollos or Peter rather than on to Christ. It was a diversion from the gospel. Look at verse 17. Christ sent me, not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. It was a diversion away from Christ. He was the one they should have been focused on. You know, just a couple weeks after Pastor Jake and uh, Miss Dominique and Cohen moved here, uh, we went to, me and Pastor Jake and Joe and Sal went to a conference in Nashville. And we were driving along. Pastor Jake was driving so we can blame him, right? Now, truth is, we all have a blame in this. And um, we were using our, our phones. Pastor Jake was using his phone as the GPS to get us to the place we were going. Well, if, if you've ever used your phone for that, you know that it can drain your battery so fast, and it uses so much data on your phone, right? So we said, we're going to be on this highway for a long time, so let's just turn off our phones, and we're just going to stay on this highway. Well, we got talking. I mean, we were having a great time just chatting, talking about different things. And it had been a couple hours, we're thinking, making good time. And all of a sudden, I look up and I see a sign that's pointing towards a city in Ohio. And I'm like, is that Cincinnati, Tennessee or Cincinnati, Ohio? And we're like, what in the world? So we get our phones out, we turn them on, we type in, and sure enough, I mean, I even brought it out to a broader scope to see Tennessee going, going from Chicago to Tennessee. We're going over here to who knows where, right? So we turn around and start heading in the right direction. And so we, were, we went about an hour and a half in the wrong direction, so about three hours out of our way. It was a diversion. We got off the, we got distracted. We stopped focusing on the map and the guide. And just as it's easy to get distracted while driving and going in the wrong direction, it is very easy for churches to get distracted while walking uh, the path of Christ, while walking the mission. It's very easy to get distracted. It's easy to be diverted. Now, division in the church is so damaging because it distracts us and diverts us from the one that we are to be following. Now, I'm 32 years old. And I know of countless stories where a church had a pastor who either retired or God moved him and his family to another place. And the church after that became deeply divided because there are some people in the congregation who didn't like the new family coming in 
and they were deeply attached to the old family. And so here you have, we liked it a lot better when pastor so-and-so. And And you know, I've always learned when people are dissatisfied with the new pastor that comes in, uh, that they have like this, um, I'm trying to think of the best way to explain this, almost like this picturesque view of the former pastor, like he was perfect. It's almost like how I view myself when I played basketball in high school. Like when I look back, I was LeBron James. Like I'm dunking on everybody. No one could guard me. I mean, I'm like, you know, the greatest thing ever. They're like, Michael Jordan has walked in the room, but I thought he was black. This guy's white, right? Michael Jordan standing before you right here, right? So I look back and I'm a lot better in my mind than I really was, right? So when the new pastor or the old pastor leaves, the new pastor comes, the new pastor does some things they don't like, all of a sudden the old pastor was actually Jesus himself, right? He was perfect. That's how it often plays out. And so here now you have this idea of who's your, they play celebrity preacher, or who's your favorite preacher, and all of a sudden now they're deeply, deeply divided. I know other churches that had nothing to do with who was in leadership necessarily of the church, but were divided over music preferences or schedule adjustments. Sometimes churches have to go to two services because they're starting to pack out their building, and some people don't, don't like the schedule changes. Or I, there are times even that churches say, well, we're starting our church at 11, but we need to start at 1030 so we can do some more of the ministry that God wants us to do. And I've seen churches get deeply divided over things like that. Sometimes it's over programs. That there was a certain children's program that they used to have, and they decided to change and do a different one. They said, well, no, I really like that one. And now all of a sudden, I'm going to take my ball and go home because you're not doing what I like anymore. Some churches, silly enough, they change the color of the paint on the walls or the carpet and divide over the most foolish things. It is hilarious. Sometimes even with technology, it's just always funny to me. And bless God, we're not going to embrace any of this new technology. We're going to do things the way that Peter and Paul did it. Oh, yeah, well, if that's the case, we probably ought to turn off the AC or the heat because Peter and Paul didn't have that. And, uh, you know, we probably ought to turn off the lights, too, because they probably use candles. So let's just go back and do it the old school way, right? We're not going to use any of these screens. We're not going to use any. Madness is what it is. It's madness. Deeply divided over foolish things. And what happens is a diversion. We start looking at focusing on either someone or something other than the cross of Jesus Christ being at the center, being at the focus of it all. And what I want to say to us today is that we must not become distracted from Christ, from His gospel, from the cross of Jesus. Because anything that takes us away from him is a diversion. You know what a diversion is? Uh, division makes someone or something other than Jesus the main thing. And that's what would happen. All of a sudden, Paul was the main thing to a handful, or Peter was the main thing to a handful, or Apollos was the main thing to a handful, and Paul is directing them all back to say, no, Jesus is the main thing. It's his gospel that we've been called to preach. It's his cross that we've been called to point the world to. It was a diversion. Finally, number three, division damages the church by causing ineffectiveness. Ineffectiveness. So here we have a church divided up into four different groups. But do you know how they chose which group they wanted to be a part of? Like how did the Paul people become the Paul people? How did the Peter people become the Peter people? How did the Apollos people say, we're team Apollos, 
How did that happen? Well, our passage doesn't tell us exactly how, but I think we get the idea of the reason why. Look at verse 17. This is where I think we find how they chose their team. Verse 17, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words. It seems as if they chose their party based upon which leader they thought was the most wise, the most eloquent, and the most impressive. Some people said, you know, hey, Paul started this church. He was the one that began it, and we're most impressed with him. We're team Paul. And then this man named Apollos, who in Acts 18 is described as an eloquent man, mighty in scriptures, a.k.a. he was a really good and powerful speaker. He was eloquent. And they said, wow, this guy is impressive when he stands and speaks. We're team Apollos. And truthfully, a lot of people don't know how team Peter Developed because as far as we know, Peter never went to Corinth. But some people believe it was because Peter was viewed as the connection to Jerusalem or the one that actually walked with Jesus and lived among Jesus. And so that's how they were most impressed with Peter. But all of it came back to this idea that whoever they thought was the wisest, the most eloquent, or the most impressive is how they chose their group. Some thought Paul's credentials were the most impressive, others Peter's, others were Apollos. But it all came down to what Paul described as wisdom of words. Now, what does that mean? It really refers to human wisdom, to man's wisdom. And that you got to understand something. So the city of Corinth was in what we know as modern-day Greece now. And Greek culture was infatuated uh, with wisdom and with impressive uh, speaking uh, and eloquence and oratory skills. Uh, they, were, they were really infatuated with impressive speeches, with eloquence, with oratory skills. And this wisdom of words appealed to the pride of men, but it did not emphasize the glory of God and the power of God. So here they are, they're saying, wow, we want to follow Paul because we feel like he's impressive. We want to follow Apollos because he's so eloquent and captivating with his speech. We want to follow Peter because he is the connection to Jerusalem and actually follow Jesus. His credentials are the most impressive. But what they were really relying on is man's wisdom. It's human wisdom. It's what seems most impressive to them. And Paul says, I totally reject this form of thinking. When I came to preach to you, I didn't come to you to try to impress. That wasn't his goal. I didn't come to you uh, to try to somehow show my ability or my wisdom. Because if Paul would have done that, it would have stripped the message of its power. Look what he says in verse 17. He says, I'm not preaching with wisdom of words, lest the cross should be made of none effect. And the the idea of none effect is ineffective, rendered ineffective, where it doesn't have the effect that it's supposed to have. And Paul is saying that the power of God is found not in man's wisdom, what seems to be so uh, applaudable of someone's skill or ability. The power of God is not found in that. The power of God is found in the message of the cross, and the message of the cross is viewed as foolishness 
to the world. We're going to talk a lot about that next week, why the world views the cross as foolishness. So here's what's happening, is you have this divided church so concerned with the wisdom of this world, they're not concerned with the message of the cross, they're concerned with what seems appealing, and they have become ineffective. You know, the church I told you about earlier, I'm sitting on the front row, and that church was divided, that church was fighting and arguing, and no one was getting saved through that church's ministry. No one. I mean, there was an oppressive spirit in every service. It's the only time in my life as a Christian that I dreaded going to church. I'd rather be somewhere else than church because of just the oppressive and bitter and divided spirit that you could sense when you walked in the place. And we were entirely ineffective in the mission that we had been given. It started as people being divided about what they wanted in the church. That's how it started. It started as people saying, I want this way. But the result was that we were all ineffective in getting the gospel to the world around us. I mean, do you know that that people don't get saved at a divided church? A divided church will have an empty baptistry. They'll have a dearth of stories about lives changed. Why? Because a divided church will not be focusing on the cross. And when we don't focus on the cross, we're ineffective every time. A divided church doesn't see lives changed because they don't focus on the cross. And when we don't focus on the cross, we don't see lives changed. I've never met someone that said, you know what? I gave my life to Christ and was transformed because I went to an angry business meeting at a church one time when they were fighting over changing from tile to carpet. It doesn't happen. What happens is people come to the transforming power of the gospel when they hear the message of the cross and everyone holding that up. I'm almost finished. This is what I want to say, though. Listen carefully. Division in a church is not just an unpleasant experience. It is far more tragic than that. It is a tragedy because God is not glorified and lives are not transformed. There's a difference. You know, when I look back at those days at that church that was so divided, it wasn't that it was just unpleasant to go to church. That was part of it. But the greater tragedy was not that just it was a bad experience for me or my family, or other families. The more tragedy is, how many opportunities did we miss? How many people did we turn away? How many unsaved people came? How many children and teenagers were sitting in those meetings who said, if this is what it is, get me out of here? That's why it's a greater tragedy. And at the beginning of the message, I mentioned that it's more tragic for a church to be divided than a nation. Why is that? It's because there's more at stake. A divided church doesn't advance the kingdom. A divided church doesn't deliver souls from destruction. A divided church doesn't drive back darkness. It's more tragic because as the people of God, we have but a short time to accomplish our mission, and we can't afford to let division render us ineffective. You know what a divided church essentially says? They essentially say that these non-essentials that we're dividing over are more important to us than souls being saved. My music preferences, uh, the service schedule, uh, the the leadership in the church, uh, that the pastor before was young 
or the, now, and now the pastor's old, or the pastor before was old and wise, mature, and now there's a young guy coming in, or whatever it is, all these personalities, the pastor before, he would do these things this way, and now this pastor does these things. All these silly things that people fight about. What they're really saying is that these non-essentials that divide us are more important to us than seeing lives eternally changed. Long before Abraham Lincoln gave his divided house speech, Jesus gave his divided house speech. Abraham Lincoln actually quoted Jesus. In Mark 3.24, Jesus said, And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. This local church and every local church is like a house And we cannot withstand the damages that division eventually brings. And division in a church has to be conquered before it conquers the church. Division in the church needs to be conquered and unity brought before that division conquers the church. And what we've seen today is that God has alerted us to the damage that division causes. Damage of disunity, damage of diversion, and damage of ineffectiveness. Division happens naturally because we're prone to that as sinful people. But unity is supernatural. Unity is created by God, but it requires effort on our part to maintain. That's what Ephesians 4.3 says. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring is the idea of putting forth the effort. Now, the lie that the devil tells so many Christians is that you have conflict in this church, but go down the street to another church and there's no conflict there. And everywhere you go, there's going to be conflict because people bring conflict. Conflict and disunity and division is natural to our fallen nature, but unity is the supernatural work of God that he does in us as we obey him. So here's what I want to say as we finish. Let's do what God has said to us through the apostle Paul. Let's be perfectly joined together for God's glory and the salvation of the lost. To not let anything distract us or divert us that would keep us from the message of the cross, that would keep us from being effective in giving God glory and seeing people come to Christ as Savior. If you committed your life to Jesus Christ or made a spiritual decision, we would like to rejoice with you. Please connect with us on our website, livinghopechicago.com. We hope you'll join us next time for another encouraging message from God's Word.